passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning, everyone. Once again, uh, God is nothing if not providential. Uh, this, this morning's passage is extremely appropriate for Mother's Day as we've been going through the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we are now in 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be spending this week and then uh, next week we're going to focus on our graduates. But the following week uh, we're going to look at this passage again, 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to spend two weeks looking at it because it's, it's such an interesting passage. It's such a, a deep passage and, and there's a lot of things to, to glean from it as well as things that are kind of difficult for us to figure out. And I say that this morning is providential because in one sense, this morning is all about our charge as Christians to take care of our mothers. That's all we have to say today. Go take care of your moms, okay? No, there's, there's more uh, to this passage, obviously. It, it's, uh, it can be applied not just to our mothers. It can be applied to our fathers, uh, whether they are widowed or uh, whether they are still together, whether they are young or old, whether they are close or far away. This passage has a lot to say to us this morning. And I do want to approach this passage with tenderness because even as I said in our prayer this morning, Mother's Day is a celebration, but it's also a day that has many painful memories for people. For some people, perhaps this is the first Mother's Day that you've celebrated without your mother. Perhaps this is a great reminder to you, a very vivid reminder of the broken relationships between you and your children or between you and your parents. Perhaps it's a reminder that you do not have children, even though you desire to be a mother. And all of these things, all of these emotions that we come into this passage with are so important for us as we look at this passage. And and indeed, they make this passage extremely appropriate for us this morning. Because this morning's passage really wrestles through what is the church's role in all of these things? What is the church's role in uh, in taking care of mothers. As I mentioned, it is a very complex passage. It is hard to understand exactly what Paul is addressing here. You might, as you read through this passage, think, why on earth is Paul being so mean to young widows? Why on earth is Paul being so quick to praise older widows? What is going on in this passage? Perhaps even more difficult or even more complex for us this morning is how radically different our culture is from the one that Paul is addressing in this book. The focus of our text is not surprising. I've already given it away, and you probably recognize this on your own. The the text is simply telling us that we honor God when we honor our aging parents. We honor God when we we honor our aging parents. And, And I would guess that all of us would agree with that. But in one sense, that's kind of where our similarities with Paul's original audience can end. You see, this topic is is so much more complex for us today than it was in Paul's day and age. I think there are four factors that complicate this issue that are present today that weren't present in Paul's day and age when he commanded us to honor God by honoring our aging parents. Just consider four of these with me. 
These aren't based on the text. These are just observations of our culture. The first one is this. This, con- this, this question, this command is complicated by governmental safety nets. They didn't have social security in the first century. They didn't have Medicare in the first century. They didn't have retirement plans in the first century. Social security was started in 1935. Medicare was started in 1965. Pension plans started, uh, first started to show up in 1875. And so all of the context that we live in is, is still less than 150 years old for us. We live in a vastly different context than Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to a context where aging parents were forced to rely on their families or they were forced to keep working. It's a huge difference between our context today and Paul's, 150, Paul's and 150 years ago. Now, some may grumble uh, about uh, the large amount of money that's taken out of your paycheck. I'm very aware of that as someone who pays self-employment taxes. But the implementation of these programs have been a great help for the aging in our society. And so one of the complicating things as we look at this passage is to notice the difference or to wrestle through the difference between our context with government safety nets and Paul's context where there were none. A second complicating issue as we approach this command is this, that we live in a very mobile society. We live in a very mobile society. In 1900, the car was a toy simply for the rich. And in 1920, Ford automobiles sold more than 1 million Model T cars. Today, we live in a culture where, if you look at it from Europe, it is defined by the vehicle. The United States has changed radically because of the popularization of the car. Now, this has made possible the idea or, or the likelihood of living in a community other than the one that you grew up in. Many of us, in fact, most of us, don't live in the community where we grew up in. In fact, it is becoming increasingly rare for that to happen. And so as we approach this context of our command, or the command given to us to care for our aging parents, we have to wrestle through how does mobile society influence or affect this command for us. This huge piece of our economic prosperity as a country, the vehicle, has forced us to think differently about our care for aging parents. For some of us, our parents live within 20 minutes of us, but others have a much more complex question to wrestle through. What does it mean to take care of my parents when they live one, two, four, or ten hours away? Many of us have this guilt uh, 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 that we experience from living far away from our parents when we are told to take care of them. So how do we take care of our parents in a mobile society? Another factor is the increasing life expectancy in our culture. In the first century, this just floored me, in the first century, the average life expectancy for a woman who survived child, uh, her children years, her childhood years, the average life expectancy for a woman was 36 years old. The average life expectancy for a man was 42 to 45. And the reason it was so low for women is because of the high mortality rate during pregnancies. So 36 and 45. Today, 
the average life expectancy for a man is 76, and for a woman it is 81. And so the significance here is relatively obvious. We live in a very different context than the one that Paul is addressing here. Paul is addressing this as as something that's important, but also at the same time, it's, it's a lot rarer than we see today. Today we wrestle through this question and this command on a scale that's completely unheard of in the first century. Questions of nursing homes and in-home care and long-term care must be wrestled with today in a way that they weren't wrestled with in the first century. Perhaps you're wrestling through these questions right now. How do you faithfully obey God's command to you to care for your parents? One final observation of our culture, and that is this. Old age is an inconvenience to our culture's delusion that we can live forever. Old age is an inconvenience to our culture's delusion that we can live forever. First three focus on societal advancements that are good. Here we just see the brokenness of our culture. For those who want, and I'm not condemning these things, for those who want them, There are hair implants, there's plastic surgery, there's hair coloring, there's testosterone treatments, and more for us to convince ourselves that we are younger than we truly are. These can remove the signs of the fall, of the reality that our bodies are finite, that death is inescapable. And I'm not at all condemning those who do any of those things. What I am condemning is our culture's obsession of denying the reality of death. Refusing to focus on things that actually matter. And we may not like to admit it, but the reality for us is this illusion is a lot deeper in our hearts than we would like to admit. You see, aging parents shatter the myth that we can live forever. Old age shatters the myth that we are gods. It forces us to face our own mortality. It forces us to realize that we are finite. And so what do we do with these questions this morning? Hopefully, as we we wrestle through this, you'll come away with some principles that will help you make wise biblical decisions... As we wrestle through how, as Paul puts it, to honor, our, to honor God by honoring our parents. But before we do that, let's take a look at our passage. And as we look at this passage in, in verses 1 through 16, we're going to see four reasons why God commands us to take care of our parents. So first we're going to look at four reasons why, from this passage, that we are to take care of our parents. And after that, we're going to spend some time probably wrestling through the thing that is a lot uh, more pressing for us. And that is, well, how exactly do I do this? Not the why, but the how. So uh, hear these words from 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers... Older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. And to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. 
She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their, when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who truly are widows. As I mentioned, this is a very interesting passage. It is a difficult passage to understand. What is clear from this passage is that Christians should take care of widows, specifically church members. Those who are Christians should take care of the widows that are in their family. What also seems to be the case in this passage is that the church is called to care for godly widows. But some parts of this passage are pretty confusing for us this morning. The first two verses are relatively straightforward. This is a transition between Paul's commands last week that we looked at to Timothy, this young pastor in Ephesus, and he's transitioning to this new topic. And so he says, you know what, Timothy, when you are addressing other people in the church who are older than you, make sure you do it this way. Make sure that you mind your age as a young pastor. Just because you're the leader of the church doesn't give you the authority to speak to anyone however you want. It's interesting, as we look at this passage, is the focus on family. Throughout these verses, but especially in these verses here at the beginning, there's this emphasis on the church as our family. Paul commands Timothy to approach older men as fathers and to approach older women as mothers, to approach the people who are his same age as brothers and sisters. There's an emphasis here on those who may not have a physical family having a family in the church. And the rest of this passage looks at the calling for us to take care of our physical families. There's this lengthy discussion here on widows. And so you might be saying, well, what exactly is going on? Remember, when we've looked at this letter so far, we've seen that there's this false teaching that's going on in the church in Ephesus. That's one of the reasons why Paul is writing to this church, to address the false teaching in their midst. But apparently, false teaching isn't the only thing that's going on in the church in Ephesus. We also see a mission drip, or mission drift. The focus that the church has been given by God has begun to shift. 
The church is apparently excelling at taking care of widows, and that's a a good thing, a wonderful thing. But at some point, this good thing becomes the main thing, and they lose sight of their mission as a church. You might say, well, what is that mission? It's found in chapter 2, verse 3. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In this passage here in chapter 2, Paul is talking about the mission of the church being a focus on the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. The spread of the gospel to those who do not yet know Jesus. The local church is supposed to be a center for global prayer, for the spread of the gospel to every Nation, And rather than being concerned with those outside of the congregation, at some point the church in Ephesus apparently is now more focused on themselves. They've entered into a self-care mode and there's this primary focus on widows in their midst. Again, a wonderful thing, a good thing, but apparently the resources of the church, both financial as well as manpower have been spread too thin because of this emphasis. And so Paul is writing to Timothy to address this problem. In our passage, he tells Timothy to winnow the pool of widows down that the church cares for. And we're going to spend more time on this next week, but just briefly, look. The first cut that that Paul tells Timothy to make is to cut out those who aren't Christians. Don't take care of a person who isn't a Christian. That's not the church's responsibility in this passage. Verse 6 makes that clear. Second is to cut out those who have family and who can take care of them. Verses 4, 8, and 16, which we're going to look at more here in a few seconds. Paul is saying that the, the church shouldn't be concerned by those that Christians should be taking care of on their own. And the final cut is those that are under the age of 60, as we see in verse 9. Apparently, there was this program set up by the, the church in Ephesus that older women who had proved themselves faithful, who were Christians, who were known for their good works would commit to interceding for the church, commit to praying for the church, commit to hospitality, commit to service, and the church, in response, would commit to taking care of their needs. Notice this word enrolled here in verse 9. This word enrolled has many other uses, uses where it focuses on enrolling or enlisting into military service. This is an official kind of enrollment that is being mentioned here. Paul is focusing on ways that he can maintain the dignity of those that are cared for by the church while also at the same time limiting the financial burden of the church. Paul is empowering older women, verse 5, And younger women, verse 16, to serve in the church. Paul is issuing this challenge to the church to care for widows. Again, we'll spend more time on this next week. But the primary challenge that we want to look at this morning is not on the church's command, but instead on church members' command. This command to take care of one's own family. 
What's interesting is this command in verse 4, the first time it's mentioned, is not just for children, but it's also for grandchildren. Both children and grandchildren are called to honor their parents, and the context of this passage makes it very clear that what he means by honoring is to take care of your parents or your grandparents. Now, perhaps you don't have any aging parents yet, but if so, you have aging grandparents. And so you should wrestle through these questions as a high schooler or wrestle through these questions as a 20-something or as a 30-something as we approach this passage. So, four reasons why Christians should care for their aging parents. The first one is this, found in verse 4. Take care of aging, taking care of aging parents is a practical way of saying thank you. It's a practical way of saying thank you. Verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of of God. Notice that phrase there, to make some return to your parents. That's a way, that's one of the reasons why we honor our aging parents. No matter how good your parents were, no matter how bad they were, how imperfect they were, they did a lot for you. The Department of Agriculture shared earlier this year that the average U.S. couple will spend, now will spend $233,000 to raise a child from birth to the age of 17. I still haven't stopped crying. Now, that number is imperfect. Numbers change. Costs change over time. What exactly does average mean anyway? Many of us will likely spend less than that. Some of us may spend more than that. But, and for those who have children over the age of five, your parents have probably spent less on you than $233,000. But they've spent a lot financially for you. They've taken care of you financially. And they've done more than that than just take care of you financially. Very hyper aware of this with Silas and Mara right now. Have a, a son who's going to turn two uh, in a few weeks. A daughter who's, who's about eight months old. And I think that there should be some sort of law passed in Congress that says that once you change 50 dirty diapers that you are entitled to being taken care of by your children the rest of your life. I think they should just be put into law. The amount of time, the amount of money, the amount of love that parents invest into children deserves a return. And that's exactly what Paul is saying in this passage here. What's interesting is that all of us would agree with this. We don't, need, we don't necessarily need the Bible telling us that this is a way to say thank you to your parents. This is what is called natural revelation. It is a part of God's law that is revealed to us, written on our hearts, not just written in the Bible. We don't need someone to come and tell us that it's the right thing to do to take care of our aging parents. There's this heart urge within us that simply wants to say thank you to those who have given so much for us. It's a very practical way of saying thank you to take care of your aging parents. A second reason that Paul gives us is also found in verse 4. Taking care of aging parents pleases God. It pleases God. Notice again verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Notice the why statement there at the very end. For this is pleasing in the sight of 
God. What this passage, what this verse is saying is not only is this written on our hearts, not only is this natural revelation, but it's also written in the Bible. It's written on our hearts and written in Scripture. The Ten Commandments make this very clear. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. Two chapters later in the book of Exodus, we have this warning of how serious God takes this command to honor your parents. Not just when you are younger, but also when you are older. It says this, You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword. And your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. A very, very strong passage showing how much God cares for us taking care of widows and orphans and sojourners, specifically those in our family. What's interesting as you look at the Bible is that God tends to identify with widows in Scripture. This was unheard of in ancient Near Eastern cultures. The gods would always associate themselves with the powerful, with the kings, the warriors, the priests, and the prophets. And yet, you would never find a passage like this in the Old Testament found in the book of Psalms, chapter 68. Where God describes himself as the father of the fatherless, the protector of widows. For this is God and his holy habitation. The book of Ruth is all about a daughter-in-law going above and beyond her cultural responsibilities to take care of her mother-in-law. Jesus talks about this in the Gospels. He says this in Mark. And he, Jesus, said to them, the Pharisees, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition, what you have handed down. And many such things that you do. Jesus validates the Old Testament that says that we are supposed to care for our parents. And he validates that into old age. Saying if you are going to act super spiritual and give away the money that culturally should be given to take care of your parents. Then you are anathema before God. That you are in God's judgment because of your refusal to take care of your parents. Acts chapter 6 makes it very clear that the early church took this call very seriously to take care of widows. In fact, they took it so seriously that they created a special group in the church that later became deacons to care for the elderly, to care for widows. The Bible reveals time and time again that God is pleased when adult children honor their aging parents. And so why should we do so? It's because it pleases God. A third reason is found in verse 8. Taking care of aging parents proclaims the gospel. Taking care of aging parents proclaims the gospel. Note these words. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household... He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's harsh. 
It's one of the harshest things that Paul writes down that we have in the New Testament. And Paul is talking about our responsibility to take care of our own family, specifically the widows in our family. Why is Paul so harsh here? Well, it's because of our first point. Our point about natural revelation, that this is written on our hearts, that we don't need the Bible to tell us to do this because God has written on our hearts to know that we should do this. Everyone knows this calling, even non-Christians. In the first century, large parts of the world still today, this goes without saying that you take care of your parents just the same way that they have taken care of you. You don't have to be a Christian to know that. You don't have to be a Christian to take care of your parents. You just do it because they did it for you when you were younger. Apparently in the church in Ephesus, there were some who had the means to take care of their family, and yet they decided not to. They decided instead to rely on the church. And Paul, no uncertain terms, says this is an embarrassment to God. This is an embarrassment to the church. He basically says, you're embarrassing me in front of the non-believers. You're embarrassing me in front of the people of Ephesus. You're embarrassing God before the people of Ephesus. Over and over in 1 Timothy, Paul focuses on and emphasizes that the church should be blameless before outsiders. Paul is very concerned with the church's reputation with non-Christians in Ephesus. See, Paul knows that the gospel itself is offensive enough. It's enough of a stumbling block on its own. And so Paul wants the church to make every effort to not add more stumbling blocks, not make it even more offensive. So take care of those in your family. In doing so, you proclaim the gospel. You proclaim the way that God has taken care of you, who is taking care of you. When God takes care of you, he doesn't do it because he wants something out of you. He approaches us with mercy. He approaches us with grace when we have nothing to offer him. And just a side note here for those of you who have parents that are outside of the church. When we care for our parents, we proclaim the gospel to them as well. When we take care of our parents that don't know Jesus, we have an opportunity to show the gospel to outsiders, including those that we are caring for right there. It is a beautiful platform to proclaim the gospel in word and in deed. One final reason that Paul gives in this passage is found in verse 16. Taking care of aging parents frees the church from ministry. It frees the church for ministry. Verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. What's interesting in this passage is that when Paul says truly widows, he's, he's referring to a special group of people. And again, we'll, we'll address that in two weeks But notice here that Paul is addressing women specifically. He's addressing women like Lydia in the church in Philippi. He's addressing women like Chloe, who is mentioned in the book of Romans, who's a deacon in the church in Centre. 
God is addressing these women and saying, you have an opportunity to take care of your family members so that the church can be freed for more ministry. Paul desires for families to do their part so that the church can take care of the needy who do not have a family support system so that the church can focus on spreading the gospel, which is its calling. And this morning, I think it's important for us to recognize that as well, that our calling as Christians is to take care of our parents, even if they live far from us, because we are one church, a capital C church, the global church. We have a a focus, a care for those in other communities and the spread of the gospel in other communities. So we care for those churches By taking care of our own families. Paul makes it very clear that we as Christians are called to take care of our aging parents. But as I said before, I imagine you probably didn't need much convincing on that. More pressing for us today is how to bridge the gap between the first century and the radically different context that we live in today. Not focusing necessarily on why, but instead on how. Here's the frustrating and yet the beautiful thing. The Bible doesn't give us a clear-cut answer. If you were to come to the Bible and say, should I put my parents in a nursing home or should I have them move in with me? The Bible's not going to tell you. It, It doesn't say whether you should do one or the other. It'd be so much easier in one sense if when your father has just died and your mom is in her late 80s and you're wrestling through those questions of do we let her live on her own? Do we let her live in the nursing home? Do we let her move in with us? If the Bible just said, well, here's the answer for you. The Bible doesn't say that. What the Bible gives us is infinitely better. You see, the Bible doesn't give specific instructions. Instead, the Bible gives us a framework that allows us to filter these questions through. And that's the way that God works. That's the way God works, not just in this area, but in so many areas. Because God's greatest desire is that you would become more like him. That you would think the way God thinks. And so he doesn't want to give you the answers. He wants you to work through those questions guided by the Bible. And as I've wrestled through this question, I think that there are three questions or three, three principles that, that form our framework when wrestling through these questions. So look, look at these briefly. First one is this. Christians should care for aging parents by maintaining their parents' dignity. Christians should take care of aging parents by maintaining their parents' dignity. Notice the beautiful part of Paul's command to the church in Ephesus is that those who are taken care of by the church should also be asked to contribute to the church. That's not because Paul's a stickler. It's not because Paul is wanting something in return if he's ever going to help someone. It's actually quite the opposite. Paul is so focused on human dignity. He's so focused on protecting the dignity of these widows that he wants to show them that everyone, no matter what your age, can contribute to the mission of the church. Uh, Back in January, uh, some of us men went to the uh, men's retreat for our denomination. It was at Hidden Acres. And the speaker there was a grandson of Billy Graham. And uh, he, he shared this story of uh, what Billy Graham is up to these days. 
And he said that, you know, my, my father used, or my grandfather used to be, you know, the greatest speaker, but he's so frail. He's so old now that his voice has basically left him. He said, so his mission, the way he is able to contribute, has now shifted. No longer is he a mouthpiece for God. Instead, he just prays. He shared that he was praying for us at that retreat right now, or at that moment. It was just a powerful picture to me of how every single one of us can contribute, no matter our age. Because every single one of us deserves to be treated with dignity. That's true whether your mom is 65 and she's homebound with cancer. It's true whether your mom is 95 and struggling with dementia. It's true if your dad is healthy or if your dad is sick and frail. It's true whether you live next door to your parents or whether you live four hours away via plane. Every single parent, every single person has been created in the image of God, and therefore they deserve respect. They deserve dignity. So why is this framework better for us than a simple answer? Because that question... The answer to that question will vary from person to person. You can maintain your parents' dignity when they live far away. You can maintain your dad's dignity, whether he is living with you or in a nursing home or whether he is on his own. You can maintain your mom's dignity by visiting her daily or every few weeks or through technology today. The key is to do so takes intentionality And it takes thought. And so when you're wrestling through these questions of how do we how do we best honor our aging parents, make sure you you filter it through this framework, this principle. Maintain the dignity of your parents. For those of you who still have children at home, part of this means to include your parents or your grandchildren your grandparents in your children's lives. Send pictures, visit them, talk on the phone or FaceTime. I love my grandma to death, but it is like pulling out my hair, trying to help her figure out how to use FaceTime. It is, oh my goodness, it is. You know, there was one time that we were talking, if grandma, if you, if you listen to this online, I'm sorry. Um, there was one time we were talking via FaceTime, and uh, she, she couldn't hear us because she had, she had her finger on the iPad and had turned the volume all the way off. And so the way to tell her that she needs to turn the volume up was vocally, but she can't hear us. And so had, had to work through writing things down on pieces of paper and holding them up so that way she knew how to do it. But it was worth it because that was one of the ways that we maintained, well, maybe I didn't maintain her dignity in that moment, but allowing her the chance to be in our children's lives maintained her dignity. And God calls us to do the same thing. When we are caring for aging parents, aging grandparents, make sure that we do so by honoring their dignity and maintaining their dignity as the matriarch or the patriarch of your family. Second principle is this. Christians should care for aging parents while remembering their one flesh covenant. What does that mean? What does this one flesh covenant thing mean? While God calls us to care for our parents, it also means that we are okay, it is okay to set limits and to have boundaries. In fact, we should. The Bible tells us that we should have limits and boundaries. Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This word hold fast 
means, it says literally, cleave to his wife. This verse is an extremely important verse because it describes the continuation of one family, still refers to parents as father and mother, and yet also at the same time it refers to a new family unit that has precedence over your old family unit. These two commitments don't have to be in conflict. The the commitment to honor our parents and the commitment to love your spouse more do not have to be in conflict. Most often, they are not. But if they are in conflict, well, according to this passage, we are called to put our spouse first, to put our children before our parents, and then take care of our parents. We are not one flesh with our parents. We are not even one flesh with our children. We are one flesh with our spouse. We are united with our spouse through a covenant that transcends our other familial responsibilities. So here's how this can play out in different situations. Let's say your father is increasingly frail. He's unable to care for himself. You're wrestling with how God is calling you to honor him. You say, well, should we let him move in with us? Maybe. Maybe not. Should we move him to a nursing home? Maybe. Maybe not. Should we move him closer to us? Maybe. Maybe not. It varies for each and every one of us. And some of those things are based off of our temperament, off of your temperament, your spouse's temperament, your father's temperament, whether there are other family members living nearby, a thousand other things that will lead you to conclude nursing home is the right answer. The spare bedroom is the right answer. An apartment is the right answer. Or nothing, doing nothing is the right answer. As you wrestle through these questions, filter them through the principle of your one flesh commitment to your spouse. A final principle is this. Christians should care for aging parents with an awareness of how God has gifted you. With an awareness of how God has gifted you. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Psalm chapter 3, verse 5, says this, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. That verse has so many applications, but this morning I think that for our discussion it means, it reminds us that we are finite. God doesn't sleep, but we need sleep. And when we sleep, it is, whether conscious or or not, it is a declaration that we are placing our hands in God. That we are going to go unconscious for a few hours here, and nothing but God's grace is going to wake us up again. It is a reminder to us that we are finite, that we have limits, that we cannot be God for our aging parents. It's a reminder that God has given you unique circumstances which I want us to consider as gifts. 1 Corinthians speaks a lot about spiritual gifts. What's interesting about that book is it also refers to being single or being married as a gift. That's not necessarily what comes to mind when we think of spiritual gifts. More often, we think of those kind of things like circumstances. But Paul urges Christians to look at life circumstances, whether you think they are good or bad, whether you think that they are advantageous or or put you at a disadvantage. 
Paul encourages us to look at these circumstances as gifts from God in order to honor him and to love others. So, when it comes to your parents, your vocation is a gift. Your vocation, what you do, is a gift. Whether it allows you to have more flexibility or not. Your location is a gift. Whether you are near or far. Your siblings are a gift. Whether you have them or whether you do not. Your family status is a gift. Whether you're married, whether you're single whether you have kids, whether you're empty nesters. Your finances are a gift, whether they are much or they are little. Your in-laws are a gift. Kind of disappointed my in-laws aren't here right now when I say that. Your in-laws are a gift, whether they are in need as well or whether they are healthy. What do I mean by all that? These and countless other factors influence how you will honor God by honoring your parents. Your life circumstances are gifts, whether you think of them like that or not. And so when it comes to honoring your aging parents, it's important to look at your life holistically. Look at how God has uniquely positioned you to love and to care for your parents. Are you the only sibling who lives near them? How can you care For them in a way that you couldn't if you were at a distance. In contrast, if you were at a distance, what are the ways that you can be intentional to include your parents, to include your grandparents into your life? God calls us to honor our parents. And by doing so, we will honor him. It looks differently for each and every one of us. And if we do this well, we can be a light to a culture that needs light in this area. We can reshoulder this sacred responsibility. So take the time. Talk with your spouse. Talk with your parents if you have that opportunity. Talk with your in-laws. Wrestle through these questions together of how you will care. How you will honor them. Answer through this biblical framework. Maybe you don't have any parents remaining and and you sit through this sermon and you say, well, that was a waste of time for me. It's going to be a tough time. This passage can be like opening a wound over and over. Thank you for listening. This passage is more than just about caring for your own parents. It's also about caring for your church body. And so look for ways that you can work with the church to care for those who are around you in your church family. We honor God when we honor our aging parents. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great challenge that we find in it. We ask now as we go from here that you would give us the strength to follow your word, follow your commands, that you give us the strength and the wisdom to honor you and to honor our parents. Thank you for your word, God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.